We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato, and tonight we are here to do a long overdue mailbag show, obviously with the new live Q&A, and just for those who don't know or are new to the podcast, every Tuesday night on the Locker Room app, Nick and I host a live Q&A where you can join the app, click on the Giants Room, click request to speak and talk with us and chat it up like it's a WFAN style radio show, but because of that, we haven't done a mailbag in a while, so you know what we said, we got all these questions on iTunes building up. We got some questions that we got from the listeners when I tweeted it out that we're doing a mailbag, so let's run a mailbag tonight. But before we dive into the mailbag tonight, I do want to do a little shameless promotion. Please, everybody, do us a favor. You know I spent the last 12 months begging, pleading, essentially, with all of you good people to head over to iTunes. And if you haven't done this already, please do it. But head over to iTunes, leave us a review, a five-star rating. Ask a question, it will be answered on the next show or on one of these mailbags. But now the new thing I'm asking from you, and it's only going to take 10 to 15 seconds of your time, so I really would appreciate it if you did spend that 10 to 15 seconds to help us. And that will be go to youtube.com on your phone, on the YouTube app, on your desktop, on your tablet, whatever it may be. Type in Big Blue Banter into the YouTube search bar. You'll see our logo. Click it, then hit subscribe. Check out some of the videos if you want to. Like some of the videos. Watch through some of the videos. Even if you want to just put it on the background and mute it with the window open. We're not above those kind of little tricks. We like those little tricks. We'll take those tricks to help us out and help us grow that page. Because it's new. Both Nick and I are new to it. And we're learning on the fly. So go ahead and do that. There's a couple great videos I think you'll love up there. Kadarius Tony film review. Zizo Jolari film review. We broke down the NFC East drafts classes and graded them out so a lot of good stuff over there so check it out a lot more to come that way 
But in the meantime, we're going to dive into this mailbag show. But before we do that, Nick, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Doing well, man. I'm doing well. Ready to get into some of these questions, talk about the New York Giants. You know, people who weren't able to get on the locker room still want to answer those questions. We really appreciate everyone who left those iTunes comments. We really want to get to everything that you guys wish because that's us doing a favor. So you know what? Go ahead over to that YouTube and do us another favor if we could beg and ask. Thank you so much. Yep, definitely. And Nick just saw another major character dead on Game of Thrones. I'm not going to go any further because he's very anti-spoiler. Oh, very anti-spoiler. Very anti-spoiler. Honestly, I've gotten people in my family who actually listen to this podcast who are saying, what is Dan thinking? There's a big question mark <laughs> around Who in your Dan? family said that? My older brother. Oh, yeah. older brother Steve. What did he say exactly? Give me a quote. He said, I don't understand why Dan would think it's okay to spoil a show. People hate that. And he said the people hate that, and I saw an exclamation point come out of his mouth. You know what, Steve? We need to have a word, buddy. I've only met you once, but now we're going to have to have a word. I didn't like your tone there. I didn't like anything about that. But listen, as I said on the last one, at what point do spoilers become non-spoilers with a TV show? Can we not talk about The Sopranos? Can we not talk about you know Citizen Kane? Do I not have to reveal the ending of Citizen, <laughs> Citizen Kane? Kane? Is that, is that how deep we go with this? I just need a cutoff. I just need a period of time. But another major character who I won't just reveal has has perished on that show for Nick, and along with a lot of other crazy shit that's gone down as he's told me as he's watching through. I'm getting little notes from Nick as he watches through Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones, when it was on, was my favorite show at the time. I dove dug so deep into it i was the person who is literally consuming game of thrones type podcasts like you good people are consuming the big blue banter giants podcast i was reading the backstory i read all the history didn't like the ending not gonna go too deep into that with nick still watching i don't think it gives anything away hopefully it doesn't steve you let me know if you think even that is a spoiler because if you do we'll have another problem but in the meantime let's get back into giants football and let's start with a question from itunes well dan i actually want to ask you one thing so uh, I heard that the Giants possibly have the worst head coach, offensive line, defensive line, and you could just continue to list it. I heard that was a, a take on Twitter that we saw. Oh, yeah. There was a take today. So as everybody knows on Twitter, I am not the – I'm trying to think of a way to term this, Nick. I'm not like the most PC – PC is not a good way to term this. I'm not like always look. okay. This is a good way. Sometimes I wake up and I choose violence on Twitter. That's the best way to describe it. Sometimes I just see something stupid and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to let this pass. That, this shall not pass. And that's what I saw today with, uh, I'm not going to name the guy, but one of the beat writers for the Eagles said, went off on how the Giants have the worst head coach, quarterback, offensive line, and defensive line in the NFC. I believe it was the NFC East. It now, was the NFC East, yeah. I didn't, dig, I didn't dive deep into any of those four. I'm not going to break down any of those four positions. I don't think they have – the. I don't think you can make a case they have the worst defensive line. But that wasn't the point I made. The point I made was, like, when you're talking D-line, like, is he including or just not including the interior guys? Because then he should have said edges or pass rushers. And in that sense, like, what does that even tell us? It tells us absolutely nothing because the Giants found a way to have a good pass defense and a good run defense last year with – David Mayo getting snaps on the edge with Jabal Sheer, Trent Harris, who they just had to just pick up out of nowhere, and like, yeah. and so like, what are you saying? What are you telling me when you say the O line? When you tell me a team has a bad O line, you're telling me a lot because literally nothing on offense can happen without an O line. But without a D line these days, especially like those ends, those traditional ends that used to be so important or used to be viewed as so important, 
I don't know, because the Giants didn't exactly have great edges last year. They probably had some of the worst edges in the NFL. Yeah, and I think this is the same guy who said he could hit a home run in the MLB, gain yards in the NFL, could score a hockey goal, and could hit a jump shot as an NBA player. So he's that so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, I'm the one who got got, because he's trolling. I don't think he is trolling. I just think he has really stupid takes. You never know. It's either he has stupid takes or he's trolling for attention, and I gave him that attention. He's not a known troll, though. Okay. There's a lot of known trolls on Twitter who actually gain respect because they're really clever with how they troll. I think this person is not that. Okay, that's fair. And when people kind of commented back on it, Nick, I just left one. All I had to do was leave one GIF, and this GIF explains it. I, it's the GIF of Daenerys uh, Targaryen, which says, I will answer injustice with justice. <laughs> so that's just how I feel about that comment from that beat writer. But let's dive into it, because no more of that Twitter talk. And... Let's start with WSJN paper, which I don't know. I, somebody tell me where the hell that is. WSJN, I think, did he mean WJ? I don't know. Wherever that paper is based out of, I'm curious, so let me know. But he says, one question, if you have time to fit it into one of your podcasts, any chance the lack of creativity by Jason Garrett last season had to do with early season adjustments to go conservative on offense due to poor offensive line play and turnovers from the quarterback. This would be similar to what Patrick Graham needed to do on defense when he transitioned from man coverage to zone and a bend-don't-break style defense, and understanding that Graham was far more creative in mixing up his schemes. Absolutely, and if you listen back to those podcasts, I I wasn't defending Jason Garrett, but I was saying this guy is somewhat hamstrung by the offensive line, by the fact that it was a truncated offseason, and by the fact that Daniel Jones is adjusting to his system and he's a turnover-prone quarterback. But as the season progressed, we didn't see a lot of adjustments, specifically in-game adjustments. And that's what Dan and I were so kind of pissed off about. That's what we kept harping on. But through those first, I would say that that five-game losing streak to open the season, Dan, we were like, hey, look, it is not the best situation. But as that season progressed, we just didn't see what we wanted to see from the offensive coordinator. So that's why I think Dan and I are both a little bit lower on him now. But I think to your point, it definitely could have been a lack of creativity because of all the circumstances surrounding last offseason. Yeah, I think that's a fair take, but for me, my issue with Garrett is not really... Creativity is well down the list of issues for me for Garrett. And the number one issue for me is his overall philosophy, and that's the most important thing. And I don't think that had anything to do with the injuries or anything else. I think his philosophy is what it was in Dallas when he got away with it, and it is what it is now in New York. I hope it changes a bit. It seems unlikely that someone would change their overall philosophy. And then it's also just the... Ret- and that's number one. And then a few things that I have above creativity because I do think he designed some creative play calls occasionally. I really do. I don't think that was ever too much of an issue for him. Maybe he didn't use them enough. Maybe he didn't mix them in enough. But bigger issues for me are route combinations. They're just not what I'm looking for. It's just not the type of passing offense I think can win in the NFL. The route combinations are too many that break back toward the quarterback, way too many that break back toward the line of scrimmage. And then overall, it's just those decisions to run on second and long those types of things and that i also think maybe plays into the to the lack of a, like the, the that i could potentially give him but overall this is just well down my list of issues for garrett when, when i talk about creativity though i i include the route combinations to okay. be honest yeah he had a couple you know end arounds to evan ingram trying to get the football in his hands a couple golden tape passes and stuff like that and yeah those are creative but i actually include the route combinations and how he attacks certain coverages in the creativity realm i guess you could say so that that i would uh that's one thing that i i would kind of um i guess not differentiate from from you like do you not do you not include that i guess i think it's it's just it's a it's a spectrum i'm not exactly yeah. sure where that would be mm-hmm. it's just like i assume what he's saying is like 
more so the you know the end around type plays and throwbacks. See, I, about, I think he means yeah. the uh, the ability to set up yards after the catch and, okay. and use like three level route tiers to manipulate zone coverage, high lows, and stuff like that. That's how I interpreted the question. You know what? Please reach back out to us and and, uh, and let us know what exactly you meant by that. WSJN paper. Yeah, and also let us know where that paper is based out of. But the next one comes from Giants fan in Cali who asks, question for the show. Can Tony help improve Jason Garrett? Think about it like this. He was drafted to improve the system. I think Tony can improve the personnel that Garrett has to offer, which can in turn improve Jason Garrett. But like you said, from a philosophical standpoint, if he's still calling three plays to gain 10 yards and not really taking advantage of explosive plays and attacking downfield vertically, then there's probably going to be a problem. But ultimately, the addition of Kadarius Tony should help this offense at that's what you would imagine. So I think he certainly can improve Jason Garrett, but is Jason Garrett, I think the better question is, is Jason Garrett the right guy to maximize Kadarius Tony? And that remains a question mark. Yeah. And I think Nick's right. I think ultimately Tony was more so drafted to give the Giants something they don't have. Burst in space, just raw speed. I mean, he's not the fastest player, but he's probably, or wasn't the fastest player in this class, I should say, but he's probably you know, one of right now the fastest players on this Giants roster, like maybe Slayton at full speed could potentially be a better straight line guy. I don't know if I even believe that. I don't think Tavi Scaladay and Shepard aren't at this stages of their careers with the injuries they've kind of accumulated. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, the thing about Kadarius Tony, he's definitely fast, but he's quicker than he is fast. Yes. Kind of similar to Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz was so quick. He didn't necessarily, he can get tracked down from behind from safeties and cornerbacks at times, sometimes. Kadarius Tony did as well with the SEC, and that could happen. But in terms of just you have four defenders around you, make these guys miss. Guy's very, very shifty. And like we broke down his film, and if you haven't seen it on YouTube, please go check it out. He has those vertical routes. He has the separation ability. Actually has more nuance to his routes than people give him credit for. I think it's one some lazy scouting thing. We're like, oh, yeah, he's raw because he only played one. But if you watch some of the routes he runs, it's like it's pretty damn good route right there how he set up the cornerback and manipulated him. So it, he, if Jason Garrett does it right, and Mark Schofield actually wrote an excellent piece for Big Blue View. Go please check that out as well. Uh, you might have to scroll down a little bit. It posted a couple days ago on how Jason Garrett can really utilize Kadarius Tony, And there are, there are plenty of ways to do it. But he just, ha- Garrett, that is, has to be smart about it. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And ultimately, the biggest upside for me when it comes to a prospect like Tony is his route running. I think his route running is the one trait that can get a lot better and can get to the point where it is elite and unguardable. And I really mean that. I'm not trying to use hyperbole here. I think that's why they drafted him ultimately. I don't think they drafted him based on what they saw already from Tony. I think they drafted him based on what he could be. All right, the next question comes from Po'Boy Giants Jeff. And this is a funny one just because, (laughs) first of all, the name is ridiculous. But this is a funny one because when I was a kid and I read the name Geoff, I'm sorry, I read the name Jeff. I just spoiled it. I would always thought this was Geoff. Like I thought this name was Geoff, G-E-O-F-F. And later in my life, like as again, I guess I got into like middle school, I realized how big of an idiot I was. And I had this stupid story where I was like, saw some kid in my class who spelled Jeff Geoff this way, Geoff. And like I, I called him Geoff, and I was like, I guess I hadn't heard the teacher call it out. And he's just like, "What are you talking about? I'm, my name's Jeff, man." And I just felt like such an idiot. Yeah, that's that's a bad one right there. But we all have those. Yeah, though. yeah. But he asked a question that honestly we. Probably should have filtered a little bit more, but that's not how we do things. It's a unfiltered mailbag, baby. He asked, can Tony have a Victor Cruz-like impact, which is just funny because Nick literally just mentioned that, in the sense that this offense has been missing a big play 
yards after the catch guy who can take a four-yard pass and turn it into a 70-yard TD. If they find it, it could make a major difference because of how many defensive first games they're in and likely to be in and how few of plays in those types of games can change the outcome. Yeah, I think Tony can absolutely have that type of impact. I think you can get him out on a bubble screen and then there's one unblocked. Everybody else is blocked. All the wide receivers are stalk blocking. You have the tight end taking the end man on the line of scrimmage. Then you have one unblocked safety coming downhill. And if Kadarius Tony can make that man miss and those receivers and tight ends can block on the outside, he can accelerate and turn what could be, you know, a one, two yard gain to a 50, 60 yard gain and possibly a touchdown. So he absolutely has that within his arsenal. Yeah. And I think the larger point is the one you made, Jeff, you nailed this one. If the Giants can play the defense we expect them to play this year and stay healthy, they now have guys they didn't have who can make big plays in Saquon Barkley if he's able to return to full health and in Darius Toney. And those big plays, if they get one, two, two for sure, if they get even one of those 60, 70-yard TDs, that could flip a whole game for them. And that could be the cha- that could be the difference in a defense first game, like a lot of the ones they were in last year Absolutely. with a defense that's considerably worse, at least on paper last year, than it projects to be this year. So it's really interesting. Um, next one is from Murray's uncle. He says, I'm a listener from Singapore. My question is, with all the pass-catching weapons the G-men now have, could they find a trading partner to move Evan Ingram in exchange for an offensive line starter? I don't believe so. I mean, not a lot of offensive line starters are just kind of sitting out there. As much as I would love that, I don't believe that you would land anything close to someone who you would want starting on your offensive line. Now, could you possibly land a fifth, sixth round pick for a team who's looking for an athletic tight end who can be used creatively in space? Yeah, I think think that's plausible, but still it's not a definite, I would say. Yes, I, I'm with Nick on this one, uh, Murray's uncle. I believe that one of the biggest reasons why I'm always such a big proponent of drafting offensive line every year, continuing to invest, never feeling like you have too much depth, always providing competition, always providing different guys that can come in if injuries occur is because it's so hard to find them. This ain't like receiver where you can get Austin Mack and he can give you a 50-yard play in one game or Dante Pettis down the stretch can come in and play well. This is one of the shallowest positions in the NFL and so I don't think there are any starters that will be open for trade. I don't think anyone's trading a starter for Evan Ingram in addition to that. So no, I think they have what they have now. They can go out and sign like a trade turner who literally no one in the league wants and I think he might be done. Or they could just roll forward what they have and hope Zach Fulton can kind of be that swing guy. Yeah, I think they're going to bring guys in too after the post-June 1 cuts and then after the 90-53 to like we brought up on the yeah. locker room. I think that's some uh, a direction they may go in. So Rumble and Tumble asks, Dan, do you think Justin Fields was on the Giants draft board at 11? We may regret this trade in a few years. No, I do not think Justin Fields was on the Giants draft board at 11. I don't think the Giants had any quarterbacks on their draft board. And it hurts me to say that, to be honest with you, Rumble and Tumble. I think it's bad process to not evaluate quarterbacks every year unless you have Patrick Mahomes or Kyler Murray on your roster. Or, I mean, Daniel Jones ain't one of those guys right now. I think it's pretty damn clear. That doesn't mean I think they should have drafted Justin Fields this year. But I think that you should never remove any of these guys from their boards. But this is a guess, Rumble and Tumble. I have no idea. I'm never going to know. The Giants could very well easily have evaluated every single quarterback in depth and said that we don't feel that Justin Fields is worthy of the 11 pick. Or we don't feel like the upside to Fields is more than the upside to Jones. There's so many factors that can come into play, but my guess would be that they just ruled out quarterback entirely for this class. Yeah, I tend to agree as well. Now, if 
say if they viewed Justin Fields like it was Trevor Lawrence for whatever reason, say mm-hmm. that their evaluation of him was higher than the consensus, I think maybe they would have had him on the board. But I, I honestly believe Dave Gettleman and just this regime, they're committed to Daniel Jones. And everything in this offseason has suggested that they are committed to Daniel Jones because they built this roster so Daniel Jones can have success. So I, I do believe that it's Daniel Jones from this and they're going to evaluate after this season. Hopefully the Giants end up not sucking yeah and i would just add to that everything they've done this offseason does suggest what you said with the exception of what they've done with the offensive line yes but <laughs> yes uh, yes i thought that was understood but uh, uh obviously the offensive line they they are betting on the rob sale thing they're betting on the shane Lemieux mm-hmm. and the will hernandez but in terms of getting the weapons that's mainly what i was yeah. referring to all right sam the giants fan asks questions dexter lawrence was a mid first round pick Although he improved over his second year, he doesn't generate much of a pass rush, and run-stuffing interior defensive linemen can be found much later in the draft. Do you expect him to become more of a pass rusher this season? What would you say his ceiling is? His ceiling? It depends on, are you asking from a statistical standpoint? Now, I don't have his PFF stats in front of me, but for a 360-pound defensive lineman, he actually generates solid pressure. But I think Dan said this pretty well a while back when the Giants made the selection. This was a safe selection. This was a high-floor selection. Somebody who's going to be sound as a run defender, somebody who can two-gap if you ask him to, and somebody who has some juice as a pass rusher for his size. But in terms of creating interior pressure from the defensive line, that's Leonard Williams is that guy on this team. That's going to be Leonard Williams. And from a ceiling standpoint in sacks, I don't expect Dexter Lawrence to come out here and scratch like eight sacks or nine. That's not really his game. And Patrick Graham doesn't necessarily put a lot on on players to really win one-on-one matchups. It's a lot of schemes, a lot of mm-hmm. twists, a lot of stunts. And if anybody's going to win that one-on-one, it's going to be Leonard Williams. Hopefully we could see that from the edges now, from Aziz Ojolari and then on passing downs, Ellerson Smith. But yeah, I wouldn't say Dexter Lawrence has this incredibly high ceiling, but most defensive tackles in the National Football League don't have that high ceiling. It's a high floor type of position. Yeah, especially if you're talking about these types, the 340-pound-plus defensive tackles. I don't know too many at all 340-pound-plus defensive tackles who are interior disruptors on a consistent basis and to echo what nick said here i I agree with him i don't see much of a ceiling pass rush wise from dexter lawrence especially now they brought in shelton i thought maybe if he started to play that role tomlinson played he actually could have a little bit a few more opportunities but like nick said it's it's scheme based i mean patrick graham's system is not what james betchers was james betchers allowed his interior guys to kind of shoot gaps and that's just not going to be the case here and yet you still find Leonard Williams really doing an excellent job of creating pressures, of racking those up, of turning those into sacks. So that just kind of shows his ceiling as a pass rusher versus somebody like, you know, Lawrence's or even Dalvin Tomlinson's or anyone else who's kind of been on that interior before this. So that would be my answer as well. Yeah, I looked up the defensive line pressure stats on PFF while Dan was talking and Dexter Lawrence is down in rank at 27th just among defensive linemen, so edges are counted out of that. He had 29 pressures last year. Aaron Donald, he's an outlier. He had 98, and he's obviously number one. That's just insane to think about. And then Stephon Tewitt had 71, and then at three, Cam Hayward and Leonard Williams were tied at 62. So that kind of gives you a gauge. And at the same time, Dexter Lawrence also only had 348 pass rushing reps, where a lot of these other guys had like 500 plus, mm. 450 plus. And I think I said 360 before. I meant 340 for Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tyler Shelvin is the guy pushing 360. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, UCLA law professor asks, just about all the analysts agree that this year is a crucial one for the Giants to decide whether Daniel Jones is a keeper. In the innumerable comparisons between Jones and Eli Manning, I think Manning's most important trait is usually omitted. 
That trait was his ability to rise to the occasion. In his good years when the Giants needed the offense to rally in the fourth, Manning was second and none. Without that trait, I think Manning would be remembered as a good but by no means outstanding quarterback. Now suppose Jones improves in the various ways you and other analysts have mentioned. If he does so but does not demonstrate Manning's truly extraordinary ability to consistently rise to the occasion, and although he might, there is no reason to expect him to, just a matter of possibilities, are we left with a good but by no means outstanding quarterback? If so, is that good enough? Especially since the Giants have positioned themselves so that they will probably be... possible for them to draft an elite quarterback in next year's draft class if they choose to do so if daniel jones is able to put everything together consistently i still don't think he necessarily has that ceiling of a kyler murray or a justin herbert i think he could be that good quarterback who may scratch the surface of being a 10 to 15th ranked quarterback in the league i think that's fair right Now, if you insert the Eli Manning trait of being able to rise to the occasion, I think you could definitely build around Daniel Jones, him being that 10 to 15, just like the Giants were able to do with Eli Manning. But you need to be able to display that consistently. You need fourth quarter, you're down by four points, lead the team down the field. That happens one time, that's good. Now, the next time you're in that situation, you got to do it again. And in these high leverage games, these NFC East games, I mean, Eli Manning made a living doing that. Eli Manning won two Super Bowls doing the executing those types of plays and coming up big in huge situations so i think if daniel jones starts to show that this year then you could certainly rely on him going forward but i, I still look at just his traits and his overall body of work and i don't see a ceiling like a kyler murray justin herbert or even like a joe burrow yeah there's no doubt about it and i think in addition to what you said about eli rising to the cage in those playoff runs he actually was up there when you look at overall fourth mm-hmm. quarter yeah, runs in the regular season as well so i think you nailed it jones basically needs to show this trait but your question is a really good one and it really could get, we could get really deep with this if we wanted to. I don't know if we're going to on this show. It might be better for another podcast, but we can go kind of the 30,000 the foot view here. And it's like, what are you striving for if you're building a franchise, right? Do you want to kind of bet double down and bet big on a player like this that both me and Nick agree doesn't ha- ultimately have the biggest ceiling? And if that's the case, you know a few things are going to happen. You only get five years of that cheap rookie contract. And then if he's kind of that average Jared Goff type guy, you then have to make him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. It has gotten out of control with these quarterback contracts. They are not paid based on merit. They're paid based on who's up next. And Daniel Jones will be paid 25 to $30 million a year, maybe more, if that cap increases, which we expect it to, if he has some kind of really good year, takes him to the playoffs, wins a couple games, and looks kind of goffish, let's say. Jared Goff level of quarterback. <laughs> goffish. I like That's, that. I, like that level adjective. of quarterback. So that leads to a bigger question should you be striving that i saw an argument made by one analyst and everybody beat him up for it but the people who beat him up for it i don't think are thinking about it too either clearly or in depth and he said i would basically cycle if i would basically cycle these rookie contracts at quarterback until i hit on a mahomes type Mm -hmm. and i didn't hate that take at all because honestly i don't know if my goal would be to find that decent to pretty good quarterback you need everything around him to be good but you also have to pay him 30 million against the cap and then hope that you can somehow have everything around him with that 30 mil cap hit which they're all going to get like i said goff and jones is soon next to get that if he does have a good season so it leads to a whole bigger question and a whole bigger philosophical question that i don't want to get into now but it is a great question and i i think you're spot on here at the very least he has to start at least showing off that manning trait ucla law professor Great question, like you said. And the Giants may be faced with the same situation the Jets were faced this this offseason, man. And I don't expect the Giants to be anywhere near as bad as the Jets were. But they had to make a decision on, okay, Sam Donald has shown redeemable traits. 
but we want to reset this rookie clock. The Giants have the ammunition to trade up to be able to reset the rookie clock. So Daniel Jones, man, he has to show a lot. And But ultimately, you and I have said this, if Dave Gettleman is the general manager, I mean, Daniel Jones is here to stay. I don't think Dave is going to move off of Daniel Jones unless he has an absolutely horrific season. If he has a horrific season, the Giants are terrible. I don't know if Dave is going to be here. Yeah, exactly. That's all spot on. But I think if he has an okay season and the Giants have an okay season, they might need to bring in some they might need to have an outside. They might need somebody else to make this decision on Jones because if they are in a position to reset that rookie clock with like a prospect like the Jets got and Zach Wilson or anyone kind of like that, they need an outside perspective on that because there is a lot of merit if Jones is only okay this year to moving on, resetting that rookie clock, getting that five-year cheap deal in. And obviously not only that, but potentially getting somebody who has that Justin Herbert upside that you talked about. Because ultimately like there's two factors in play it's not only just the contract it's the upside it's do you want to bank on a quarterback who we think has all the tools to an extent but doesn't have any amazing trait at this point it's really hard to say that daniel jones has any defining trait like with justin herbert it's the arm talent with kyler murray it's the ability to move outside the pocket and it's the arm talent to some extent though it's not justin herbert level what is daniel jones's defining trait right now can you think of anything yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, he's an incredible vert, uh, linear athlete, I would say. Not as good laterally, I would say. Definitely an incredible linear athlete. Throws a good ball, but there's definitely not, like you said, that one thing to say, oh yeah, that guy has a top, he's top five in that area, but he has to work on other parts right. of his game. He's a average, he, he has the potential to be an above average quarterback, but I don't think he has the potential to be a top five quarterback. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's like we talked earlier in his career. I don't want to get too far into this, but like we saw a ceiling for him being Matt Ryan, right? Mm -hmm. But like that Matt Ryan ceiling, man, what did the Falcons get out of that? They got one Super Bowl appearance and nothing else out of that Matt Ryan ceiling. Like they were they were a competitive team, though. And but is that that, well? That's and that is totally good and well for some fans and for some people who are, you know, for the way that some people like to build a roster out. But for me, or the build, it, it asked the question. What side of it are you on? Are you on the side of like you're good with one total Super Bowl run where you lose in the Super Bowl and then some competitive seasons Mm -hmm. and no other Super Bowl runs? Or do you want to just keep striving to get that quarterback who can give you a chance to get to the Super Bowl every year, not just be a 9, 10, 11 win team? And that's kind of the whole question, I think, with quarterbacks in general, with fans and everything like that. And that's kind of the interesting thing, I think, with this. But, like, the, the crazy part about this is, too, man, and I know Matt Ryan hasn't won a Super Bowl, but let's try to eliminate that from our brains. If you could say, oh, yeah, Daniel Jones is going to be Matt Ryan, but, but you got to eliminate his accomplishments, just his talent. Now, you're also going to factor in that Daniel Jones is much more athletic than Matt Ryan. Like, I would sign up for that, to be honest. An athletic Matt Ryan for Daniel well, Jones. Well, if he can be an athletic Matt Ryan, Which yeah, he would be, sure. but he's not just going to lose his athletic ability. Like, he's a very good athlete. I think, well, that's the thing, though. Like, I think when we talked about his ceiling and we said Matt Ryan— it was a little dis. I don't think it was a fair, like ceil- or ceiling comparison because yeah. it seems like I guess I could be wrong on this, Nick, but it seems unlikely that Daniel Jones is going to get to the processing point yeah, that yeah. Ryan got to. I think by now, by year two, Ryan was already a much better processor than Daniel Jones was in year two, and that and that makes a massive difference. He had a little bit more stability, I want to say, right, Matt Ryan. I don't remember who his offensive coordinator mm-hmm. was in back when he was sure. drafted, but like, I'd have to look into all yeah. of that. I, I'm not going to rule it out, but I'm going to say that I'm not overly optimistic that he's going to to be that processor Matt Ryan is. But since it was his first year, 
two or first and second year two different systems i don't want to fully rule the kid out to be that's honest. fair no i don't either i also think matt ryan's arm talent is a little bit next level compared to Jones. I would say so not much more not much more but i think the bit. arm talent it, it's it's a little bit more comparable than the other names that we've mentioned here where guys yeah. are throwing the ball 70 yards off oh line yeah, with yeah. Beautiful touch, you it's know? not justin matt ryan is certainly not justin herbert level and then that's the whole other thing i think like honestly Jason Garrett and whoever is the offensive coordinator if the Giants keep Jones, and we, we can wrap it up here because we don't want to go too far on this Jones tangent, but needs to basically use Jones in that zone read run game and say, if he gets injured, he gets injured, doesn't matter. Because if Daniel Jones is not, if that zone run is not part of Daniel Jones' game, I don't know how high the ceiling is. Like the offense was considerably better when they started running that. And he kind of has to be that Josh Allen, I'm going to take hits, but I'm going to get yards with the running the ball kind of quarterback and he also just needs to be smarter and getting down because he doesn't have the yes. build and the frame that someone like josh allen has you know bigger guys and also like think about just what the giants can do if they run that zone read effectively with saquon barkley you you are eliminating a player that you have to block you are gaining the it's just math you're gaining an advantage on the offensive line because you don't have to block that read defender anymore because guess what he has to respect daniel jones because if he crashes down to try to tackle backside pursuit on saquon barkley daniel jones is gone that's going to be an extra that's going to be at least six yards you know before he yeah. gets down before the linebacker and safety come up so you're gaining an advantage by not having to block somebody so that blocker can go and pick up a second level defender which can help saquon barkley out if daniel jones d- does decide to get the football off yeah, that's spot on, Nick. And ultimately, I think that's probably the the biggest free space right now in the NFL for offense coordinators, running the zone read, giving you that one extra person advantage. And I think ultimately it played a big factor in why the San Francisco 49ers decided to draft Trey Lance over the other quarterbacks who were available to them. Because I do believe they're going to use zone read with him, which Shanahan has wanted to use for a while, for that exact reason. It gives you that advantage. And then also with that, we were talking years ago about how we wanted the Giants to look into Joe Moorhead to be the offensive coordinator. Why? Because when Joe Moorhead was at Penn State with Saquon Barkley and Trey Smith McSorley, who can run. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Was the quarterback, just like Jones, he can run. They ran a lot of that type of offense out of the gun, you know, a little bit of zone read here and there, a lot of zone read actually. And it was so advantageous toward Saquon Barkley's skill set. And I think it will continue to be, like you said. So that should be a huge part of the playbook this year, in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. You're going to take a risk. Jones could get hurt. But that's the type of quarterback that he is. Josh Allen is taking risks out there week in and week out. But if Josh Allen wasn't taking those risks, he might not be the same breakout quarterback that he was. So it's just part of what they are, in my opinion. All right, that's it for the iTunes questions. Let's dive into some questions 
from Twitter. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Dan. Paul, how would I say this? Lonergan, I think is I think that. I think yeah, that's it. I think that's, I think that's it. it. Anyways, Paul, let me know. Anyways, Paul says, given the adjustment period and difficulties faced by new quarterbacks in the NFL, would you rather have Daniel Jones as he is now, i.e. year three with Jason Garrett, or one of the quarterbacks just drafted and, same question, but with your offensive coordinator of choice? A lot of Daniel Jones questions tonight, which is awesome because these are probably the most fun to answer. So I'm going to try to read this one over myself real quick in my head and try to get the good grasp for it. So I'll start by saying this. If it's one of the quarterbacks just drafted, like I would take Trevor Lawrence no matter what. I don't care any of the circumstances. I personally would take Zach Wilson no matter what. I don't care any of the circumstances. Then we move past that and I can start to consider, I think, the question. So the question becomes, would you rather Daniel Jones as a third-year player, I guess that means with two years of NFL experience as he's had, but obviously it's not two full seasons, but he also gets Jason Garrett with him, or you get one of these Justin Fields or Trey Lance, and you could also back out and answer this differently if you don't include Field, or I'm sorry, Wilson with Lawrence in that mix. I know you probably include Lawrence, but or would you rather have any of those quarterbacks, but you get to choose, or no, you get Jason Garrett, it looks like, and then the same question is you get the coordinator of your choice. So uh, it's a very tough question here, Paul. I shouldn't say tough. It's a very complex question. I'll start by saying... Jason Garrett and Jones or Fields and Jones or Lance and Jones. I'm going to go with Daniel, or I'm sorry, Lance and Garrett. I'm going to go with Jones and Garrett over any of the two quarterbacks, Fields and, I'm sorry, Lance for 2021. Because that's the question. It's for this year. And so for this year, I think Jones has a better chance to give the Giants wins. Having known Garrett's system for a year, just being a quarterback who has seen more than those rookies than those two and then the same question but your coordinator of choice is an interesting one because we've already seen jones can do well in an offensive system that has a lot of half field reads a lot of half field reads where you read the field high to low and a lot of mesh and a lot of crossing routes that's not what garrett's going to be so i in this scenario get to choose any coordinator but then again i also get to choose trey lance and justin fields with any coordinator so i'm probably going to go with either lance or Fields, to be completely honest and a shanahan as my coordinator because that means i can run zone read that means i can use the legs of those guys and i know daniel jones has some speed as well but i think those guys might have a little bit more of an advantage with any coordinator. Yeah, it would reset the clock as we've been talking well, about. And yeah, we're not having factoring to, that. And we're not having yeah. to trade up for him in this mm-hmm. hypothetical situation. So I think the move would be obviously we'll exclude Trevor Lawrence. For me, it would be Trey Lance. I like Trey Lance a little bit better than Zach Wilson, to be honest. And I would bring in coordinators if we're just getting rid of Jason Garrett in general from teams that or from just offensive minds that I respect. Pep Hamilton is now with the Texans. He's an offensive mind I really respect. He's helped Justin Herbert. He's done a lot of great things. He's a quarterback's coach so these are all quarterbacks coach that I have here because I'm not going to steal the offensive coordinator that's a lateral move we'll say that that's just not possible Ken Dorsey is with Buffalo what he's been able to do with Josh Allen I feel like has been excellent along with Brian Dayball another really good coaching staff under Sean McDermott and then obviously I have to go to the 49ers coach and try to take Rich 
Scangarello from the 49ers. Hopefully he has, uh, I'm not 100% sure how many years he's been with Kyle, but if he has that Kyle Shanahan rushing scheme and then passing concepts and passing game along with Trey Lance, who's now obviously on that team, I think that would be really, really exciting for us Giant fans. Yeah, it's an interesting question, Paul. Hopefully we answered it. Uh, It was a little complex. And let's move on to the next one from Curmudgeon68. Love it. He asks, what are the Giants going to do with Evan Ingram? It seems like he doesn't fit on this roster. He's already burned through three coaching staffs. No one can consistently tap into his his potential. Best outcome seems like trading him for a draft pick close to the trade deadline. How apropos is this guy's name being curmudgeon and asking <laughs> this question about Evan Ingram? I love it, but he's not wrong. I honestly can see him being dealt at the deadline if he's not being used and he's playing like, what, 12 snaps and stuff like that. Kyle Rudolph is healthy, but if Kyle Rudolph isn't, I think Evan Ingram's going to ride this contract out become a free agent at the end of the year but I could certainly see him being dealt for I don't even know what you would get maybe a five five and a seven you could possibly get from a team that maybe got had a athletic tight end go down with an injury or something like that and I think people also like his football character his off the field character he's a great guy but ultimately I can also see him just riding his time out not being resigned at the end of this year I think it's just going to depend on variables that happen throughout the season yeah you're right it does depend on all these variables but I will say this I don't ultimately think that the Giants are going to be positioned to be trading Evan Ingram. The only time they even consider trading these free agents was the year where they really, truly bottomed out. And that was the year they traded Dalvin Tomlinson, or I'm not sorry, not Dalvin Tomlinson, Damon Harrison during that season to pick up a pick and Eli Apple during that season to pick up a pick. Even the year that Landon Collins was a free agent and they knew they weren't going to re-sign him, they didn't trade him because they said they didn't want to hurt the locker room. They said a similar thing about Dalvin Tomlinson last year. So I think they really believe in that and they don't they won't move Ingram unless they bought him out. If the other team we expect them to be, which is a competitive team all year, they're not going to trade any yeah. players for picks, I don't think, especially when they already acquired 10 draft picks by trading in the last draft. I agree with that. And also, you got to think Kyle Rudolph's coming off a Liz Frank injury. It's an injury that ha- happens to have a high rate of being re-injured. Mm-hmm. So with that kind of factored in behind Kyle Rudolph, if Evan Ingram isn't there, you're looking at Levine Toilolo, Caden Smith. I like Caden Smith, but I think, as you said, the Giants are going to value the presence of Evan Ingram on the current contract right now for this one season that he has left. Yeah, agreed. All righty, we have Juan de... La Lenzo says, we've invested heavily into this roster, dipping into future cap space, but we've also traded down to collect future draft capital. My question, how much do you think the Giants, especially Judge, believe DJ is a long-term guy? It's a tough question, Juan. I mean, we're asked to speculate here. How much do the Giants and Judge believe Daniel Jones is a long-term guy? I know if we're referring to the Giants, we can refer to Dave Gettleman. I think Dave Gettleman is 100% sold. Daniel Jones is the long-term guy. I think he's been sold for a long time that Daniel Jones is a long-term guy. I don't really think anything he's seen has deterred him in any way. I think this is probably what he expected Jones to look like in his first two seasons. I think the Giants have mentioned over time, multiple times, that they believe the development for a quarterback is a long-term situation it's a long-term plan they've seen it happen with Eli who like Nick said on either the last podcast or one of the ones we recently did in 2007 had that three pick six game where some people wanted to get rid of him that was what three four or I'm sorry four oh five oh four oh five oh six oh seven four years into his career so I think they truly do believe in this long long long-term plan for quarterback development and so I think Mara and, and and Gettleman for sure believe in him. Judge is harder to say because he was hired after the Giants selected Daniel Jones. But I know that Jones that Judge loves Jones's toughness. I know that Jones I'm sorry Judge loves Jones's work ethic. As far as what he's able to do on the field or the production he's been able to put out there, 
that I think they believe will come in due time. So I would say my answer, again, speculative, would be that they strongly believe in him. Yeah, I would say the same thing. But like you said, I'm not 100% certain on Judge because he did come Mm. in after. But it does seem like he really appreciates everything Daniel Jones does on and off the field and how he works his ass off and all that kind of good stuff. All right, that's it for the mailbag tonight. Remember, if you want to help us grow the show, there are multiple ways to do it, and all of them help us. Two more than others. The first and most important is please, please go to YouTube right now. Type in Big Blue Banter. Subscribe to our new YouTube page. Like a couple videos. Watch a couple videos. Do the exact same thing on iTunes with your podcast app. And make sure you always hit download, by the way. This is a little thing not everybody knows. When you listen to our podcast and just hit play but you don't actually hit download, it doesn't, doesn't count for us. And that actually hurts us. So please don't do that. Please actually download. Please give us a rating review. Join us on Tuesday nights every Tuesday, 8 p.m. on Locker Room for a live Q&A. And then follow us on Instagram, NYBigBlueBanter on Instagram. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon.